KRCL, Salt Lake City. In honor of Volunteer Appreciation Month, everyone here at the station wants to say thank you to the countless number of volunteers that make KRCL, KRCL. From 1979 to 2022 and beyond, we would not be here without our dedicated volunteers. Whether you're a DJ, you're out hauling the tent all summer, or you're on the board or answering phones during Radiothon, it all goes to making KRCL what we all know and love today. Welcome to Radioactive. You probably know the drill. This is KRCL. This is your grassroots show for activists, for community builders, for punk rock farmers, for DIY creatives. And we're here every weeknight at six. I'm Nick Burns. And you know, Earth Day is Friday. Earth Day's been around for 50 some years now. We're still working on truly making an Earth Day. I myself think we ought to have 364 Earth Days and maybe one day to throw out trash. But tonight on the show, we're going to jump into 20 years, 20 years of milestones with Utah Clean Energy. They, of course, have been around leading. They have been experts. They are a public interest organization, and they are working to actually turn the tide here on climate change right here in this state. And it's true, expanding renewable energy, working on energy efficiency, storage, clean vehicles, and on and on and on. We will talk with them on the show. Earlier on the show, I'm going to throw to executive producer Laura Jones, and she's got some rallies and resources. But also on the show related to Earth Day, I want to talk with two really enterprising, gung-ho, up-and-coming high school students. They are youth climate organizers, and they are trying to push and lead, I want to say, a student coalition in Granite School District, and they are organizing to pass a 100% clean rather energy resolution. And before you look askance at that or wiggle your nose, this is actually happening at other schools around Utah and around the nation, that students are leading out and getting their districts to devote themselves to 100% clean energy. So we want to talk with them. But hey, executive producer Laura Jones, it just rolls off my tongue. How are you? <laughs> Doing well. I think we got our mic situation sorted out. Excellent. I think we got enough volume and we're ready to go. So rallies and resources on 420 day. I got nothing for you. You got that. nothing for 420? <laughs> Man. We got a little musical inspiration later on. And earlier today, there was a Facebook Live garden coaching. If you're looking for something about 420, Grow Your Own, I think, has a unique meaning on 420 day. Tomorrow, Nick, April 21st at the Eccles Theater downtown, Women Who Succeed presents a conversation with Dr. Bernice King. And she is the CEO of the King Center, founded by her mother, Coretta Scott King. Friday is Earth Day. I think you can still get signed up for the Jordan River Trail and Canoe Cleanup with the Jordan River Commission. It's going on from 9 a.m. to noon and 1 to 4. And Nick, you don't have to get in the river if you don't want to. They need help shuttling people around. They need help on the riverbanks. And it's a way, great way to get out on in nature on Earth Day. That's an opportunity. There's an Earth Day art gallery going on from 6 to 8 that benefits Autism Solutions. It's out in West Jordan. You can check the rallies and resources for our our connections there. we got links for you. Saturday, of course, it's political conventions. Utah Democrats, Utah Republicans. Mike Lee has uh, been getting hounded by Salt Lake Tribune reporter, at least, Brian Schott, about what he knew and when he knew it on the January 6th issue. I'm sorry to interrupt, but people should see that clip 
where Brian from the Trib is trying yeah. to talk to Senator Lee. He's going wherever he is right now. Trying and to these get him to young answer. interns, you know, in their in their zippy suits are like blocking <laughs> his path. Um, and they almost a couple of them rather look embarrassed yeah. to be doing that. Well, he did finally put out a statement. Oh. Um, about what he knew when he when he knew it and and that everything's a okay. Oh yeah. So anyway, I'm I'm looking to get a panel together probably for your night because I know you dig it. Um, talking <laughs> politics in Utah. I think we need that after the uh, conventions this weekend. Also on Saturday, if the conventions, let me see if I can thread this needle, Nick. From okay. politics to fish for garbage. Oh. On the lower Provo with fish for garbage. They're a great nonprofit. Had them on the show last Friday. You can go out with them and you know take the family with you and you pick up trash along the river. You don't have to get again. You don't have to get in the river. But they're back to finally doing these these events in person. I mean that's a positive. If you look mm-hmm. at the river cleanup, the Jordan River, the Provo River, I think people need to sometimes remember that there have been huge gains mm-hmm. um, with the Provo and the Jordan and um, and some of the other watersheds. It's easy to see the negative yeah. and it's easy to see the doom and gloom, but there's some positives out there. And I think for Earth Day, it would behoove us to remember. Yeah. Sunday, April 24th, National Crime Victim Rights Week Walk and Resource Fair, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Sugar House Park. It's held by the Utah Office for Victims of Crime. They want you to join them as they walk around the park to bring awareness to victims of crime statewide. It's going to end at Parley's Creek Pavilion for the Resources Fair. They will have folks there um, telling their story, victim service providers with resources, and agencies hosting booths in order to provide resources and information. So, so do check that out. And I got a call, rather an email, from Emily Means. You remember Emily? She Emily, used to be our fantastic. assistant producer here. She's now over at K-E-L. Crosstown yeah. Community Radio. The big, Radio. At the big station, right, yeah. with the network affiliation. They've got this Ken Burns, Ben Franklin documentary coming up. So they've put together three workshops on civics and why it matters. The first one is coming up, I believe, the 28th. And you need to sign up by tomorrow the 21st although she said she's going to look at extending Mm. that doesn't cost you anything but you got to reserve your seat because space is limited you meet uh once a week for three weeks with different folks and chat about getting involved so the first one is on the 28th and it's why local civics matters with uh, jason from the hinckley institute Who's, Jason Perry. Yes, yeah. his last name just went as soon as I tried to say it out of my mind. <laughs> then M is going to host the second one on May 5th, and that's going to be hands on how to get involved in local politics. But she's really excited about May 12th at 7 p.m. at the Salt Lake City Library's main branch. You're going to watch, I believe, a, a screening of part of this documentary about Ben Franklin by Ken Burns. And as an example of civic engagement and leadership, And then you're going to learn from local student reporters about how civic leaders in Utah are paving the way for the new generation of movers and shakers. So all that's coming up. We'll put it in rallies and resources. You just sign up and then you go have some fun. And community radio. Shout Mm -hmm. out to Emily Means, who actually worked here with us on Radioactive, went up to KPCW, on to KUER, where she covers the legislature. Has their own podcast. Yeah, doing all this amazing stuff. And it was Mm -hmm. really a pleasure to work with her here. And before we jump into this interview with our youth who are so active at the Granite School District, let's throw to our brand new intern, Intern, which is just fantastic. Diego Bradley, welcome. Thank you for being here. Yeah, of course. And your mic is the only one I haven't fully fixed, so <laughs> oh, well, that's you know the so intern. All right, yeah, you're the intern. There we go. So, <laughs> why did you want to intern with uh, Radioactive? Um, I obviously like talking, and um, 
I'm really interested in uh, maybe going into um, a major in communications. And so I want to see whether I like radio. And here's a great place to do it. Well, and you know, I think I know someone <clears throat> in the room who's like a dean at a community <coughs> college of communications. Nick? Yeah, you know, you ought to come and take our radio production class that would also teach you podcasting. You could be on the air at SLCC. Once you've gone through the class, you could stay on and produce pretty much any show you want. One of the advantages, of course, and Laura, you know this, we are an online radio station, so <clears throat> we don't have to follow the FCC guidelines. So there's a little bit of latitude. You play dirty words, don't you? Well, you have to follow the code of conduct, but you have some freedoms with online radio that you wouldn't have <clears throat> at a place like this where we are Broadcast. What do you do them for 20 day over yeah. there online? <laughs> yeah, at the community college. We are the community's college. So if you're interested in talking about that, Diego, I know the radio people. I could hook there you up. But I, I'm really interested, too, when, where you are currently. You're at Ames, right? Yes. Okay. So what do you want to be when you grow up, so to speak? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a whole mix of a lot of things. I think I have um, a lot of skills and a lot of interests. So it's it's been a challenge for me to figure out what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think journalism is something I'm interested in and also law and um, also, yeah, doing something with, with radio. Well, I always love it when we get interns in particular and I always say, hey, what story do you want to pursue? So we're thinking about that. We can do the story together or we can put a panel together that you can be part of on the air. How about it? I would love that. That would be um, super interesting. All right, Diego, welcome. Yeah. Okay, we're going to have you swap chairs with uh, our next youth activist joining us, Nick Burns. I'm going to sit back while you take this. Well, thank you. And again, Earth Day coming up right around the corner. Friday is Earth Day. So I want to welcome to the show two high school students. Ava Curtis, hi. Hello. How are you doing? Good. And also Amanda Merrill. Hi. And you two are, I want to say, the movers and shakers behind the student coalition at Granite School District. And you're organizing to pass a 100% clean energy resolution. Now, to somebody like me, and I am older and I am cynical, but to me this kind of seems like a no-brainer that students would go forward and say we'd really like our school district to be 100% clean energy. And yet, is it as easy as that? Ava? No, I would say it's not as easy as that. Um, this has been a two-year, this has been a two-year-long campaign, um, and we've really um, got a lot of stuff moving. We've been able to get a lot of community support, and we've been able to hear a lot, um, even meet with the art facilities department and stuff. Um, and we've just, but no, it's not as easy as that. You have to help them figure out where they're going to find the funding. You have to help figure out um, how they would implement this. And, you know, this it all gets very complicated. So funding-wise, I presume that's because green energy can cost more with our current <clears throat> system, even though solar panels can generate electricity cheaper, right? That might be one of the cost issues. What else are some of the cost issues? Um, so what we found is that it can generally save school districts money. Um, other school districts have saved upwards of, you know, 40 million. Wow. Ogden recently installed, Ogden School District installed some solar panels, and they're expected to be saving millions. Um, so most of the funding comes from, we have to find ways to find the funding up front. 
Okay. Um, so that's normally either in the forms of grants or taking out a bond or some sort of, some form of loan. Okay. Um, but lots of school districts have been very successful with these methods. So. And there are school districts, like you just mentioned, one here in the state, but this is happening nationwide. I mean, youth are speaking up on this, and they, and it's you all who are making it happen. It's not your parents, I think. Yeah. yeah <laughs> if I, I want to throw your parents <laughs> under the bus here. <laughs> yeah, I think my parents are listening now. I'm sorry, <laughs> Mom and Dad. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I would think it's very much youth-led. We've so. Been no, no, that's good. That's good. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but Amanda, bring you in here. Thank you. Um, is this always only gen- you know, issues like generating your own power and putting solar panels up? There must be more to 100% green energy than just the electrical side. Yeah, so um, a lot of it is getting our... Um Okay, take your time. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> You're fine. Um, so a lot of it is getting um, local support and getting um, um, having getting meetings with our board members and having uh, them listening to us. There's also a lot of issues with um, social um, justice um, and racial injustice. Um, a lot of students are um, disproportionately impacted by dirty air, and we are trying to bring that to the board's attention. And you raise a really good point that this is more than just we want to have solar panels on the roof. This has to do with families who don't have health care, whose kids have Mm -hmm. asthma, kids who don't have doctors, people who live in neighborhoods with no grocery stores, no trees, and so on. Am I fair to assume that most of the students that you work with are pretty on board with this? Oh, of course. We, um, all of us, we think that the biggest part of our resolution is the fact that um, if when this would be implemented, um, the first schools that would be impacted would be um, the um, schools that are uh, uh, low income schools. Right. So how would you see this kind of 100 percent, 100 percent clean energy resolution? How would that work, do you think, towards creating equity and inclusivity for these schools in, you know, minority and underserved areas? Um, I think a lot of it. So it would first, it would help clean up their area um, with dirty air. And. Ava? Yeah. Um, so what I'd like to say about that is um, students um, on the west side um, and in low income schools are a lot more likely to miss school due, due to poor air quality and um, so what our resolution is trying to do is we've written into our resolution that we're trying to pass the, the order of replacement for these technologies. Um, we set two goals, 100% renewable electricity by 2030, and renewable energy in all other sectors. So that's like electric school buses and new HVAC systems by 2040. Um, but, you know, that's 10 years from now, and there's going to be a lot of slow incremental progress during that. So what we're hoping... And what our resolution calls for is for technologies to be replaced in schools based on their socioeconomical level. So the more um, poverty a school is experiencing, the higher up it is on the priority list to get these technologies. I mean, you raise a good point. I mean, Park City School District is one school district that's moving this way. But I wouldn't call the majority of those students particularly underserved or minority or low income, right? 
So it so it seems like the students who most need this help are in school districts where it's they're probably least able to help money wise. Yeah. Um uh Granite School District is one of the biggest school districts in in Utah, but it's also one of the um unfortunately um uh poorest. Exactly. So and, so we've got this commitment. We have you interested. Your friends around school are interested. You've been working on this, Ava, you said, for two years? Yeah. Holy crap. Good for you. Thank you for not giving up. Um, you said your parents were listening, so I, I, I think it's fair to assume your parents are probably on board. But the other students that you work with, do you think moms and dads are on board with this too, or it's kind of off their radar screens? Um, I think um, a lot of parents, they... Um Unfortunately, aren't. Hmm. Um, I one of our Earth Club officers, Bell. Um, we try to, we oftentimes want to bring her to um, rallies and help um, um, raise awareness to these problems. And oftentimes, um, they aren't on board. And I think a lot of other parents they don't um, necessarily understand. So it sounds like for you, the youth in Granite School District, you've got to reach out to board members. Mm -hmm. You've got to convince people to find money. And then many of you have to turn around and convince your parents to jump on board, too. I mean, that's a that's a pretty big that's a pretty big order. Yeah. (laughs) So what keeps you going, Ava? Um, I think what keeps me going is just like um, being involved with so many other activists, everyone on that campaign. Um, I'm involved in some other organizations, Fridays for the Future Utah, um, Ecotopia Now. And yeah, I don't think that um, it's inherently generational, you know, like certain generations won't support and certain will because there's definitely people from all different generations who have supported us and um, people from all different generations who haven't. But um, I definitely think that you know, educating people on the issues and um, not just climate change, but the issues about air quality and injustice um, and as well as educating people on how much money could be saved. I mean, that's when you're talking about saving millions of dollars, that's a big deal to a school district. Definitely. So, I mean, it seems it seems to go without saying that spending some money now could save boatloads of money later. But most government entities only think about today, sadly. So any numbers? Have you run numbers about once you invest in, you mentioned HVAC systems, electric buses, and so on, any ideas the kind of numbers you're talking about in the eventual savings if this work could be accomplished in 10 years? Um, So there's really a lot of factors um, going into the eventual cost savings. Um, In other school districts, we've seen anywhere from like, couple hundred thousand to I think like 40 million saved at the most um Salt Lake School District is expecting to save millions right now they've um passed this commitment with the with the exact same dates and um they've already written an implementation plan and in terms of the upfront cost you don't really have to invest that much in it because once you see that um the federal government, state government, is offering a lot of grants. Um, right now, through the bipartisan infrastructure bill, Utah has $500 million specifically for schools to use in clean energy. And Granite is very likely to get get this if they have an established 
resolution and a plan. So you've done your homework, <laughs> to use a word. Oh, so, I mean, just think about this. If you could save tens of millions of dollars and there's all this infrastructure money out there and here's money you wouldn't have to spend on coal-fired power down the road, think of all the raises you could give teachers. Wow. Teachers on board with this? Do you have teachers helping or can they not be involved politically? Um, so they are pretty limited in how involved politically uh. they can be, but we've definitely um, received a lot of support um, personally coming from our teachers. Um, they've been willing to you know, help us out a little bit, help us write our speeches and stuff. Um, but there definitely is limits yeah. on what they can do. Is this, is this a student club? Because that could put you in a different position vis-a-vis -vis Granite Schools if this was actually like an environmental club. But maybe you're way beyond that. Um, yeah, so we're affiliated with some clubs, um, okay. Taylorsville Earth Club and Skyline Earth Club, but we ourselves are not a club. Um, that's just because we're pushing for something political, yeah. so that's not allowed. Uh. Um, but and, and because we're receiving funding and advice from some outside organizations, um, namely Sierra Club, we receive a lot of funding and support from them, um, you know, we love Sierra Club. <laughs> Becca <laughs> Ashley, um, she's been helping us a lot with this campaign and organizing with us. Um, yeah, her advice is invaluable. <laughs> wow. So, and, and clearly you're working with other school districts. You mentioned Salt Lake School District. We talked about Park City. There are other school districts around the nation. For other students listening right now who want to get involved, what all should they be doing? Yeah, um, so if you're a student right now and you want to get involved, if you're in Granite School District, um, you can reach out um, to me um, personally um, through our um, team Instagram. That's at Granite Clean Energy Team on Instagram. Um, if you're in an outside, um, if you're in either Salt Lake or Park City, you can be part of the implementation process. If you're in Davis, there's an ongoing campaign. Or if you want to start your own campaign, if you're in a different school district, you can reach out to Sierra Club of Utah and they'll get you in touch with whatever campaign's going on in your district or you can start your own if there isn't one. Totally awesome. We'll get some of that info in the show notes. Ava Curtis, it's impressive, so keep going. I presume you'll go to college and like study environmental justice and become a lawyer and kick ass? <laughs> I'm... This fall, I'm, I'm going to be going to University of Utah studying um, environmental science and sustainability. So. Cool. Thank you very much. And Amanda Merrill, thank you. Thank you. What are you thinking about after high school? Is it fair to ask? Uh, yeah, I would love to get an internship um, working with um, uh, partially being a park ranger um, with national parks or being a um, an intern with any... Um, lobbyist groups i would love to do something like that you should go and intern with the sierra club and take this information and spread it to other schools all around the to. state so that's <laughs> totally cool well you two are the face of the future it gives me a lot of hope and a lot of excitement to be able to talk to you two because obviously i'll be dead someday and you'll be voting so i think it's going to be great so thank you very very much ava curtis amanda merrill both young people behind the granite this i want to get this right the student coalition in the granite school district which is organizing for 100 percent clean energy resolution even though they're getting some no's and some gee whiz kids they are pushing ahead pretty fantastic thank you for being on the show thank you thank you for having us
So, Laura, we want to maybe take a uh, <clears throat> a 420 break because you've got something planned? Well, the stress of this new board makes me want to take one <laughs> for sure. But I read that, um, where was it? Spin Magazine at one point called this the most popular pot song ever. And it is 420 day. So for our 420 friends, little Steve Miller band, what do you say? Ooh, okay. most popular pot song ever. ever. I didn't know that was Perhaps. something that was measured. <laughs> All things are measured these days. It's the Internet of Things. <laughs> it's the Joker on KRCL 90.9. KRCL, your community connection since 1979. April is National Volunteer Month. Thank you to everyone who volunteers at KRCL and one of the more than 10,000 nonprofits across Utah. Looking to donate your time to a good cause? Check out the Utah Nonprofits Association or youserve.utah.gov. KRCL has been a longtime supporter of community events and fellow nonprofit organizations. Events and festivals are returning, and as a listener, you can help KRCL continue to support our vibrant community by donating during Radiothon which begins April 22nd, or donate early at krcl.org. We are back on Radioactive. I'm Nick Burns, the Joker, Steve Miller, the most popular pot song ever. Okay, everything's, everything is, everything has got, everything's on the list these days. But it is Earth Day coming up on Friday. Pretty exciting. And we talked with some youth about what they're doing in the Granite School District. And now I want to turn the mics over to some grown-ups. And I mean grown-ups that have been doing this for 20 years right here in Utah. So Kevin Emerson, the Director of Building Efficiency and Decarbonization. Yeah. So tell me about that. Well, We're trying to get you a mic that works. So there you are. How, how does this get? Very good. You sound great. Good. Yeah, Building Efficiency and Decarbonization. Um, Energy efficiency is one of the most important things we need to keep doing to address our climate crisis. And building decarbonization is just a really fun way to talk about making buildings super efficient, powering them with clean energy, and making them all electric as well. So all the power you need comes from renewable energy sources. Decarbonization. I mean, it sounds quite scientific, but what you're talking about is actually fairly easy. If you're building a house, maybe you should get an electric heat pump and not a gas furnace and a gas range exactly. and a gas everything. You said it. And, oh. and make sure your garage has EV chargers as well. Ooh, EV chargers. You could just plan that when you build your house. Yeah, you can just run a 240 outlet into Ooh. the garage. Because it seems like, and again, I don't want to get too far off topic, but for many people, you go buy an electric car and then, you know, you're running an extension cord across your garage and it takes you 40 hours to charge the car. And then you've got to go by and rewire and yada, 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 which is great. But just plan for it. Just plan for it. And, you know, 70 to 80 percent of the charging of electric vehicles in the future is going to be at home. So it's a great place to do it. And if you put solar panels on your roof and then you go to work at night and then you could charge your car all day. Oh, yeah. it's a fantasy yeah. I could live with. Driving on sunshine. Oh, Ooh, that ought to be a pop song. Oh, and also Brandy Smith. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. And you were involved on the community engagement side of Utah Clean Energy, which is related, but I would think very different than from what Kevin does. It is a little different. It's community outreach and also communication. So the goal is how do we get the word out about the risks of climate change without scaring people into the fetal position while also inspiring them to understand that we actually have all the tools at our fingertips to really address this, but we just need more people to get involved and take action. 
And when we talk about community engagement, are you up on the Hill in February and doing lobbying? Is that part of the, your community engagement? 45-day whirlwind legislative session is always a really big deal at Utah Clean Energy. We're very busy on the session, but we're busy you know, throughout the year. There's a lot that goes on with other entities like the Utah Public Service Commission and other groups that you really have to stay engaged with all the time. And just to be clear, so that folks know, Utah Clean Energy, you've been around since 2002. So arguably, you're kind of ahead of the curve here. We've been around, we were incorporated in 2002, and we've been doing this work for 20 years this year. And how do you feel about 20 years of impact in your work? You know, it's crazy looking back. When, when Utah Clean Energy started, there was no large-scale renewable energy in Utah. There were, there, there were no houses with rooftop solar. There were no EVs. Talking about climate change in the halls of the Capitol was, you know, mm -hmm. a political tightrope. And we've transformed all of that. Okay. So I want to talk about you've transformed all. You make it sound so simple, like you just went up there and you talked to them. And now there's, you know, solar panels everywhere. Um, one area that I do want to ask about, and Kevin, I, maybe it should be good to bring you back in here. And that is what seems to be a fair amount of pushback from Rocky Mountain Power. It's not like they have anything against green energy as long as they can control it. And there seems to be when it comes to rooftop solar and sort of, I want to say, microgrids, like on my own house for my own mm -hmm. electric car mm -hmm. or whatever it might be, that seems to be kind of a, a I, would, I want to say, a blockage when the corporate interests speak up <clears throat> in a contrary position. Yeah, you know, it's complex and multifaceted. There's things we work with Rocky Mountain Power on, and there are things that we disagree with them on and that we're working to to overcome, such as advancing um, and a flourishing rooftop solar market um, in the state of Utah. Mm -hmm. um, that's, uh, you know, there's actually a case before the Utah Supreme Court right now that unfortunately I can't speak to because that's not one of the projects I work on directly, but we have a team working uh, very closely with other solar advocates to try to make sure that, you know, the solar market in Utah continues to grow, um, th you know, through yeah. net metering other smart policies. And it's not like Rocky Mountain Power doesn't have that humongous, humongous solar farm down in Millard somewhere um, where you can buy into that and you can buy so mm -hmm, much a mm -hmm. month guaranteed for three years. So it's not yep. like they're not involved. They have the Blue Sky program mm -hmm. that I'm a part of. But it, it, it is hard not to feel <clears throat> some degree of animosity when you have to pay more for green energy that they get for less. But I digress a little bit. I want to talk about some of your positives here because um, I have this humongous list of things you have done. One uh, thing, go, go, um, go. One thing that that what we've work, been working on with Rocky Mountain Power as a partner and pushing the envelope and as an advocate before the Public Service Commission, as well as with Dominion Energy, the other utility in the state, is continual investing and growing uh, the investments in energy efficiency. So it's cheaper for utilities to help their customers conserve energy. First and foremost, energy efficiency is the best way to go first. Um, and we've helped them over the last 20 years uh, invest. Uh, well, we've been at the table advocating for big investments in energy efficiency. And over the last 20 years, they've invested over, well, in the last decade, um, so just half of these last 20 years since we've been around doing this work, they've invested over a billion dollars collectively between the two utilities in helping their residential customers, their industrial customers, their commercial customers become more efficient because it's the cheapest energy resource. Um, and, and so we've, that's one of the biggest, that's one of the big wins over these last 20 years is just the role we've played to help shape how our utilities are investing ratepayer funds. And a bunch of that's going to energy efficiency, which we're really 
glad to see and really proud of those, those accomplishments. And again, you know, you can have the gas company come to your house and make suggestions, right? Mm-hmm. Like, gee, for 20 bucks, you could put a blanket on your hot water heater or um, you can get a, you can get some sort of assessment, right? They'll come and do yep. that for yep. free. And again, just to be just to be fair, I think I would say that, you know, it saves the corporation money, too, because there's going to be more and more people. And if they don't have to build another great big natural gas fired plant, they save three hundred million dollars there. But they're still selling more and more yep. electricity to another 50,000 customers. So yep. it seems very win win. So absolutely. Is, do you ever feel like and, and I don't want to put you overly on the spot, but do you ever sort of feel like you have to compromise being in the room with them at the table? A lot of the work we do involves trying to find win-win compromises. Okay. Um, we push as hard as we can to, to, you know, to make the transition to a climate-wise economy and a clean energy economy. And you know, sometimes we make wins that are, you know, less, you know, more of what we want to see and less compromise. And some are definitely, you know, when we have to, we want to compromise to to keep our clean energy um, yeah. movement moving forward. A C plus win rather than a B plus or an sure, A minus sure. win. Yeah. Brandy, um, I know that I, if memory serves, the Salt Palace just did a humongous solar panel, right? They've got a lot of roof. Are, are you involved with working with municipalities to go greener? We work a lot with local municipalities, absolutely. Okay. And the Salt Palace is a cool example. That It's not a new project, but that was a huge win at the time. It was the biggest solar install um, at the time in the West. And so that's one example of, you know, the, the complexity of kind of going through the weeds to make renewable energy, clean energy in general, feasible, economical. Um, it's really, it takes the local municipalities, it takes the utilities, it takes the public service commission. So that alone took, I think, two regulatory changes and two policy changes to kind of facilitate those types of projects. Just to do that. And again, as you say, that was a while ago. I think that was Peter Caroon when he was Salt Lake County Mm -hmm. Mayor. So that goes back a while. Um, I want to ask, too, when it comes to something like the Salt Palace and all that kind of work or residential rooftop solar, whatever it might be, you need a whole bunch of workers who know new skills. I know at the community college, we teach some of that. We teach people who are comfortable with heights, how to work on, you know, windmills, which I probably wouldn't like. But tell me about your work when it comes to training workforce to actually do this work. Well, Utah Clean Energy was involved at the very beginning of um, helping to establish the solar, uh, let's see, the solar design and solar installation uh, program at the community college, as well as their um, energy management uh, associate's degree, which is all part of their um, energy institute. And, you know, I don't even exactly remember when it was, but it was years and years and years ago. And it was great to be working with solar, the solar industry, with um, different uh, local governments and the experts at the community college to get these kinds of programs started. For a number of years, we were involved with, um, well, I I served on the program advisory committee for the energy management program. And, um, you know, they've trained, I don't even know how many, but many, many, many folks in solar design, solar installation, and a bunch of people in different facets of the energy efficiency economy too. People who are out doing home energy assessments, people who are working with large commercial or industrial facilities, um, doing um, energy evaluations to help them use energy more wisely and incorporate renewable energy into their operations. So um, it's phenomenal to see what what this one um, institution, community college, has done. 
I'll give a shout out to the community college, and I don't know if the site is still active, but it used to be able to go online and and monitor the solar panels mm-hmm. on the roof of the tech building, and you could see if it was a cloudy day or a sunny day, how much power was being used by the building, how much was going back into the grid. It's kind of fun to look at that kind of stuff. Um, I'll, I'll actually just Brandy. note one more thing on that for Kevin. When we talk about the clean energy workforce in Utah, I don't have the exact numbers. They always fluctuate, but... Solar alone, I think, employs around 6,000 Utahns. Energy efficiency apply, uh, employs, I think, around 30,000. So this is, ma- this is a major industry. And again, that's, I, that's a good point, that, that you need one group of workers to climb around on roofs and know how to be electricians and install the panels. You need a whole other group of people to replace windows, insulate attics, do the energy assessments. Um, Here's a selfish question that I'll throw to you, Kevin. The the power company will give you like half the cost of a Nest thermostat. Mm-hmm. Worth it? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. cool. Again, um, that's one of the smart technologies that makes it possible for people to conserve and, and reduce their energy consumption first and foremost. So um, they offer those. It's not, it's not a gimmick. Yeah. They offer those to their customers because energy efficiency is the cheapest and cleanest energy. Well, it is the cheapest and cleanest ener- yeah. energy resource. The way they look at it is it's the cheapest energy resource. Um, and it's and it's true. It is. So absolutely. I mean, yeah. if you can install a smart thermostat, if you can um, upgrade your windows, if you can put in more insulation, if you can make your home more airtight, uh, the utilities want to help make that happen because they have the regulations in place, which we've been so happy to work with yeah. them on. Um, you know, to make that possible. And the Nest is but one of, like you say, a programmable thermostat that'll hook to your cell phone. You can, you know, if you know you're going to be three hours late in the evening, you could just tell your furnace to kick on three hours later. Mm -hmm. And some of them will actually learn your habits. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. very good. We are talking with Utah Clean Energy. They have been around 20 years helping Utah become a better and better place to live when it comes to clean energy, when it comes to all the things around clean energy, from jobs to buildings to, I mean, there's a thousand things we could talk about till midnight. So Brandy and Kevin, thank you for being with us for this conversation on Radioactive. And, I, and I've got a list here that I'm never going to get to by, by the top of the hour. Uh, how about when it comes to businesses? You know, somebody's got a small business, they run a flower shop or they cut hair um, they use a lot of energy. And again, you go and you say, gee, maybe you need new water heaters or maybe this would help you save a bunch of money. But it can be a bunch of bucks to get there. You know, it takes money to save money. So what all are you doing to sort of help those small business people get over that hump to the savings? Are there projects that you're working on? Well, um, over the last you know 20 years, um, we've advocated that um, small businesses have, have access to the same kind of programs that I mentioned before, the energy, the utility efficiency programs where it's, you know, a a business can, um, yeah, can replace their kind of controls for their HVC system or replace their lighting and they get help from the utilities. But one, one really exciting initiative we're working on that kind of takes this supporting small businesses to the next level is, um, it's going to be a, a, a multiple phase project, but it's in partnership with Salt Lake City. Um, and the U.S. Department of Energy on and working with small businesses specifically on the west side of Salt Lake City and helping under kind of understanding and helping them develop uh, capacity for energy storage um, specifically. So when um, you know when we have uh, a small business that uh, well, the opportunity really is all about uh, when the sun shines a lot. We have the opportunity to store 
power, you know, on site, um, and then use it, you know, when it's when when there's a higher demand and maybe when the power the, uh, the electricity is more expensive, you can you know pull power from the battery that you have in your facility. But there's a lot of there's a lot of barriers right now. You know, what's the, what are the right battery technologies? Um, what are the costs? Uh, are the technologies right for the kind of energy load that businesses have versus a home? Uh, so this project, w which we're working on, attempts to kind of take apart this issue and then put back together some strategies to help small businesses not only save energy and become more efficient, but also incorporate battery storage, which is, again, just a really important part of our future energy mix so we can store up that sun, um, you know, when it's super sunny or store up that wind power when it's, um, you know, when it's really windy and, uh, and then use it when we need it. All those batteries, we're going to need lithium, and now we're reading about we can get lithium out of the lake. You involved in any of that, supporting the local mines to sort of do the evaporation ponds to get lithium? We're not involved in any of that, but, but you know, the, all of the energy um, solutions are complex and definitely have some, you know, some oh. challenges that need to be worked out. But, um, you know, that's an er exciting area of growth is battery technology and battery um, yeah. costs dec declining. Oh, in my hippie days, I knew guys that lived way off the grid, and they just had a bunch of car batteries, mm -hmm. and so their home was entirely lit with, you know, 12-volt, like, RV lights mm -hmm, and everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then when they drove to town for supplies, they'd put the battery in the truck and then charge it going down the hill and back. Yeah, yeah. Again, they're probably getting three miles to the gallon in an old truck, but that's the old days. Brandy, bring you back in here. Um, one thing that comes up before the legislature a lot and often over the years are building codes. And you see, I've seen pushback where there are national building codes that push towards greener buildings, better standards, more insulation. And over the years, we have seen pushback from the building industry like, oh, my God, it's going to make a house cost $1,000 more. And I wonder about your involvement in actually getting Utah to step up, up on the hill to oh. better, stronger building codes. Well, I'll, I'll probably pass the baton to Kevin because okay. he's been leading this effort forever. But oh, I will okay. say Utah Clean Energy is actually one of the only organizations that works on this in Utah advocating for ener building energy codes. And that's been Kevin's uh, mantle for a decade. It's one of my favorite projects when it comes time to reevaluate re our construction standards. Yeah, you know, new construction standards are developed at the national level every three years. And we're right now, actually, one of the big things we're working on right now is um, making sure that the state does a thorough review and take steps forward to update our new construction codes for new buildings and new homes um, to the latest 2021 uh, or 2021 energy code. Um, every time a new building is constructed, there is an opportunity to build it right and to build it efficiently and to build it clean. And um, if we don't get, if we don't, if we're not using the latest standards, then we have a missed opportunity. This newest standard has the potential to, just in the residential sector, cut CO2 emissions by 19,000 tons every year. That's looking at how many homes are built in Utah um, each year. Huge amount of CO2 emission reductions just because we're using less power. Yeah, and I mean, the last time I remember this coming up before the legislature, at least very publicly, was five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. And the pushback was, gee, this is going to raise the cost of a home 1500 bucks. Yeah. You know, and a home is like $300,000. Yeah. So it seems to me $1,000, you know, the family that buys that home, if anybody could buy a $300,000 home anymore, but we are yeah. talking a few right. years ago, would quickly get that money back. Yeah. Yeah. And yet the home building industry was able to kill it, there at least are, for a year. Yeah, yeah, oh. and, and we're back at it again. Oh. And there are definitely some builders doing 
they're already building to this level, but we want to make sure that there's a, a level playing field across the state. So all builders use these best practices. Right. And um, there, you know, there is an incremental cost to to incorporate new technologies and, and update your, you know, uh, architectural plans to meet these new standards. But the incremental cost is estimated to be less than 1% of the cost of a new home. So there is a cost, but it's very, um, it's, it's totally manageable. Bucket. It's a drop in the bucket. And every year, starting the first year, um, you're seeing energy savings. Once you take into account the, um, the increased mortgage costs or the increased down payment, by year three, consumers are ahead. Um, right. If, if your gas financial. bill drops by 50%, a 1% of a $500,000 house, that's what, five grand, you're going to get that back in a few years mm -hmm. with better windows, electric, whatever it might be. Yep. Um, Brandy, do you want to brag about this a little bit? I was just <laughs> reading this in the notes for the show tonight. 2,087,000 tons of CO2 prevented through energy efficiency in the last 10 or 12 years. Um, put that put that in the in the context of like cars or you know 2 million 2 million over 2 million tons. I'm not going to do the math times 2000, but that seems like it's a fairly big win in a state that we have a pretty bad attitude, I think, about energy efficiency and green energy. Well, energy efficiency in particular, it's the unsung hero of a healthy climate. It's just, I can't tell you how many times, you know, we'll, we'll be talking to these awesome people that maybe are installing solar or like me are zipping around in their electric vehicle. But they're ignoring the insulation, which because it's just not as sexy. <laughs> they're ignoring <laughs> their windows. And so getting people to care, there's there's two components of it. There's one, it's amazing that they, our utilities are investing this money. They're saying, we're going to give you a rebate. We're going to give you an incentive to do X, Y, and Z to save energy. That's That's a great step forward. But what's really amazing is now you have to have people saying, okay, I will take time out of my life. I will turn off Netflix, and I'm going to go install that thermostat. I'm going to go switch out my windows. I'm going to call for that energy audit. It's really the Utahns that are taking it up and saying, I'm going to save energy, even if it's not flashy, even if it's not the mm -hmm. cool thing. And that's really amazing. So the fact that Utah Clean Energy has had a part in that, both making sure the incentives are available and robust, but also helping Utahns learn, hey, guys, you can save money. It, it, you know, it's gonna, it may not equal hundreds of dollars a month, but that 20 bucks a month is a big difference for a lot of families, and it makes a difference for our climate. You just said something really interesting, and I want to drop back and mention that again, and that is what's the sexy solution and what's the sort of unsung, unsexy solution so we've seen the car designers and the car companies, I can think of Honda and Toyota both, that when they came out with the electric cars, they made sure to design them distinctly enough so that if you drive one, everybody knows mm -hmm. that, oh, my God, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a Tesla, or, oh, my God, it's a whatever, it's a, it's a Prius. But there's a huge payoff to just add six cents of insulation to your attic or figure out how to water your lawnmower efficiency if you want to talk about water savings. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That must be a much harder sell for you in Utah clean energy, I would think. The it, unsexy stuff. Yeah, it doesn't, it's it's like energy code, like those things. It's really easy to overlook it. People get really angry when you try to mess with solar export credits. People get really mm. mad about that, but it's really hard. It is admittedly hard to get people jazzed about the energy efficiency side of things. And that's, I think, really the code is the perfect example of like, we need people calling their legislators. We need people getting involved on these really, let's kind of boring issues when you get down to it. It's true. Yeah. 
they're they're pretty boring. They're not nearly as sexy as <laughs> Rooftop Solar or a really snazzy looking, you know, zero to sixty in just a couple seconds, you know, electric vehicle. But yeah. uh, they're but they're critical. If we all could afford a hundred and fifty thousand dollar <laughs> electric Porsche, the world would be just be great. Oh boy. Um I wanna ask about this. We've got a few minutes left. But that is coal plants and coal plant we they use the word retirements. Um, we see this move to natural gas, and everybody says, oh, it's transitional, blah, blah, blah. I'm a big fan of I think every house should have solar panels, and you know, I think that would be a whole lot easier if Rocky Mountain would just charge everybody 15 bucks for the grid and charge something separate. But tell me about your involvement in this retirement of coal plants and what you all are doing, and I don't know who that should get that question. Why don't I start? And when I, yeah. if I'm inaccurate, Kevin will help Let's me. Okay. <laughs> no, so it's an ongoing issue. Okay. Uh, we haven't won the day yet, but we have certainly made some very big wins. So going to that point of you know where a lot of the technical stuff and the boring topics happen, we've had two major wins um, with regards to coal resource, coal resources, and one is in a regulatory docket called the Integrated Resource Plan. Our utility is required every two years to sit down and say, how are we going to power the lives of our customers for the next 20 years? And so, of course, we're there saying, with renewable energy, of course, with energy efficiency. And there's a back and forth, and there's, you know, there's a lot of data, there's pounds and pounds of data that goes into figuring out those calculations. Uh, a few years ago, we helped to um, enable the Rocky Mountain Power's biggest investment in renewable energy, 7,000 megawatts. Am I mm -hmm. getting that right, Kevin? Yep, yep. And that also included, now that we're bringing on more renewables, with, with those came the retirement, not all of local coal plants, but of some of those resources that will retire yep. earlier. And, and this latest integrated resource plan from 2021 definitely had, like Brandy said, some big wins, some coal retirement um, a lot of new renewable energy, a lot of energy efficiency, and what's called demand response, where the utility is going to help its customers use use electricity at the right time, and so time the use of energy, which is really important as our grid incorporates more and more renewable energy. Uh, I wanted just to put that statistic that Brandy mentioned into perspective. So there's 7,000 megawatts of new renewable energy coming online over these next uh, next you know decade or so in this new 20 uh, 20 year plan. That's equivalent to the emissions of over two million homes. So they're bringing on enough renewable energy, really make a you know a pretty big dent. Two million is a, is a big deal. That yeah. is a big deal. Yeah. Where does Utah Clean Energy stand on this move towards these mini nukes? There's this process and plan, and mm. to me it seems a little pie in the sky still. But the idea would have many of these little mini atomic reactors for power that would be here, there, and everywhere. I guess I could say we're monitoring that. Okay. We don't have a, a position exactly. Um, I mean, the climate urgency really requires serious consideration of all low carbon or zero carbon energy resources. Um, I will say, I haven't seen a study recently, but just a couple of years ago, there was analysis that said, like, what is the real potential of energy efficiency? I don't know why we keep coming back to energy efficiency, except maybe that's your thing. What yeah. I know. Um, <laughs> what's the real potential of energy efficiency? And it basically said there's enough energy waste happening across our country. That we don't need to build any new power plants. We can just, if we helped all of our businesses and our homes cut energy consumption, you know, we could make do with the power, you know, the power that we have today. So, um, so maybe we don't need baby nukes. Maybe we don't. If yeah. you just would freaking yeah. insulate your attic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you make it sound so simple. 
So 20 years for you guys, for Brandy Smith Community Engagement, Kevin Emerson, Director of Building Efficiency and Decarbonization. Sounds like something you'd do to your tractor. Um, but yes, decarbonization, the environment. Um, a few minutes left, and I, I guess, Brandy, I would throw this to you. What What are the big things you're working on now and thinking about for the interim sessions and whatnot until next ledge session? You know, there's a lot going on. This really is the climate decade. We have 10 years to do some extraordinary things, and we have to do them fast. And really, that starts in many ways with talking about it. We can't solve what we don't talk about. And so one of the biggest pushes we have now, it's through a program we call the Utah Climate and, sorry, Utah Cleaner and Climate Compact mm -hmm. was, the, was the start of it. And it's this idea of we need new voices, different leaders that you wouldn't think of to be talking about the risks and solutions about around climate change, really pushing their networks, but then going beyond that. There's, there's a community of people that are advocates that are out there that care about this, but we need 10 times more. We need 100 times more. So really the push right now is we need to be talking about these things and we need, everybody thinks that you need to be an expert to call your legislator on climate and to say, I want this exact policy and to break it down, but really, a call or an email to your representative saying, I just want to know what you're doing for climate change. I want to know what you're doing for our air quality and know, and know that I've got your back. That alone is huge. And you raise a good point right there that those things are all related, right? Insulating your attic, making things more energy efficient, cleaning the air, all works towards addressing climate change, even if some legislature, you know, to those particular words are anathema, right? They might yeah. still support energy efficiency. So that's a really good point. Um, Brandy Smith, how long have you been doing this with Utah Clean Energy? I can just hear it in your voice. I've been here for 14 years wow. at Utah Clean Energy. I'll never forget my first day. We, we have this little house that in the avenues, and I show up, and there's a newspaper on the, on the conference table, and it had on the front page Utah's first wind farm. And I was like, I've landed. I'm at the right organization. This is everything <laughs> I've been looking for. What did you do before? What did I do before? Okay, well, okay, well, I won't <laughs> ask then. <laughs> more marketing, more communications, but not for anything I was truly passionate about. Like this. I mean, like I can this. hear it in your voice. And Kevin Emerson, Director of Building Efficiency and Decarbonization at Utah Clean Energy. How long have you been doing this? You know, um, I've been doing this about 16 or so years. Wow. And I was just realizing that it was, I think it was Earth Day 20 years ago when I first met Sarah, our executive director, at... The University of Utah's Earth, um, what do we call it? It was like the Earth Day, the Earth Day thing in town back then was hosted by students at the University of Utah. I was an undergraduate getting ready to, to graduate in environmental studies up at the University of Utah, met Sarah, and um, that led to our first initiative working kind of like the students who were mm. here before, but at the university level, getting the university to commit to purchasing uh, wind energy with, with student support. So it's been... It's been an amazing 20 years. We've seen so many things happen, and there's a lot of really exciting things we're working on. Um, I, I want to just plug one thing real quick because we okay. were earlier talking about how energy efficiency isn't sexy, and I agree. But um, electrification is a huge transition that's happening, and it's essential to meet our climate goals, and that is moving off of fossil fuel combustion in our homes and in our buildings for space heating, for water heating, and for cooking. Um, and we're actually working on a collaborative problem-solving project with support from the EPA through their environmental justice program that's going to last 
two years. And it's focused on the west side of Salt Lake City and the west side of uh, Salt Lake County, looking at how can we get uh, our homes and our communities electrified. But the, the, the kind of the most important point is how do we do that in a way that is accessible to all of our communities? So especially those communities who don't have disposable income to spend on more money on this technology or that technology or their renters and their landlords might not be, you know, amenable to this. But just uh, we'd love to come back and talk sometime about what we're learning and what we're hearing from the community about the opportunities of electrification and some of the challenges and how we want to overcome those challenges. Very good. And we've only got a couple minutes left, but with the enthusiasm I'm hearing from both of you, over the last 15 or so years you've done this, Kevin, what are you most proud of that, that you and Utah Clean Energy have done so far? Wow. I wasn't really prepared for that question. Um, you know, I think consistently advocating to not forget the unsung heroes, Brandy said, of energy efficiency and consistently bringing that up with local governments, the state government, with our utilities and making sure that energy efficiency continues to be um, you know, a priority energy resource. That's probably one of my, you know, oh. one of the things I'm proud of for. Kevin Emerson, thank you very, very much. Real quickly, Brandy Smith, what would you say your best accomplishment with Utah Clean Energy? Everybody, everybody feels free to talk about climate change now, whereas 20 years ago, that was not the case. Ooh, I like that. This is Radioactive. Next up, of course, 7 o'clock is Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Rude Awakening, of course, with Liz Schulte happens at 8. Maximum Distortion, as always, with Forgash and Cody D. That's coming your way at 10.30. And always a brand new day with John Florence. That will be tomorrow morning at 6. And don't forget, Radiothon is coming up. You can pledge early. And I want to thank all my guests on Radioactive. KRCL's Spring Radiothon starts April 22nd, and the ticket package selection is incredible. Just a small sneak peek to what we'll have. Tickets to see Brandy Carlisle. How about that? Wait, what? We'll have tickets for the sold-out Kilby Court block party? And what? And Elvis Costello? Wait, what? And the Black Keys? What? And the Flaming Lips? I can't believe this. KRCL's Spring Radiothon starts April 22nd. Support your community radio station and live music all at once.